Welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Time now for our weekly review show as ever. So this is going to be a review show looking at releases from the 19th of May. This was a really interesting week in terms of releases. Tons of great stuff as always, though there were a few delayed titles, you know, much to my guest chagrin, but it's okay, we got them sorted with this week's uh, releases. DC, for whatever reason, just didn't ship some of their titles last week, certainly to this side of the world. Things like Nightwing, things like Justice League, like The Flash, and also a new Batman title, Legends of the Dark Knight, but those are ones that are all going to be released this week, and we may cover one or two of those later as well. So, a week that focuses much more on the Marvel and indie side of things, but there is a smattering of DC in there because, of course, your host, Alan, has to always include some DC stuff. So, as ever, as I just said, Alan is your host here from uh, Coffee and Heroes. I'm joined to this evening by Keith. Good evening. How are you? I am not bad. I'm not bad at all. This uh, this sunny Tuesday evening in Belfast. We're at New Comic Book Day Eve. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow and, uh, and what's coming out. I'm expecting a fairly chunky pull list tomorrow. Uh, given those delays, and uh, I know you've got a nice, uh, uh, I know this is going to be a shock and a surprise to to, to, to to some regulars, but I know you've got a nice variant of uh, Nightwing 79 for me, isn't it? Finally, we have broken Keith's resistance and made him buy more than one of a certain issue, and it's an issue that came out a month ago, but the cover is just too glorious to to ignore him. For a, for a Nightwing stalwart like himself, it was it was hard to resist. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, that uh, just even the concept of the cover, the idea of uh, you know with Batman sixty six, the the climbing up the wall, uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, but the concept of the cover being you know as Nightwing climbs up the wall, every image of him is is another evolution of from Robin right up to present day Nightwing. So it just is really, really, really good. Um, and Nightwing has very much been on my been on my mind of late. Not just looking forward to. Uh, to the next uh, Tom Taylor, uh, Bruno Redondo uh, issue, but also some stuff that I've been reading more more lately. But uh, what about yourself? How's things? Yeah, 100%. The store's good and busy. Great to be open again. Great to be fully open this week. You know, we've now got the store to a point where people can actually sit in, so we can start really enjoying the whole community aspect of the store again. We can have people sitting around. We can have people chatting about the latest issues, chatting about TV shows, movies general life stuff you know and it's it's i've said it to a few regulars that it's actually going to be nice for people to see faces because for the last year i think there's been a lot of group chats in the world and a lot of people keeping you seeing with you know general chat or pop culture news or whatever and it's actually going to be nice that everybody can see each other in person again instead of just at the end of a phone screen so we've kept some of the seating pared down a little bit you know two maximum to a table you know we'll we'll gradually get that up uh, i'm sure but you know we're we're so close to the end of all this thing we may as well just you know be be cautious but at the same time enjoy the fact that people can sit in again so yeah it's uh it's a definite positive for the store to say the least but yeah in terms of personally i mean i had a big week of reading i mean this was a miracle this week i had my pull list finished by wednesday night which was <laughs> incredible I, I had to drop keith a message just saying new record and I think I got like five head exploding emojis, you know, sort of reply. <laughs> I think you hadn't even started your. But... No, I was, uh, I was, I was in the depth of a, of a, an omnibus at that time. Uh, and what you know, were you reading? What was yeah, he reading? I so I hadn't even started my pull list. I was reading uh, Nightwing, Prince of Gotham, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 Kyle Higgins extravaganza that made up. Was it the new 52 era of Nightwing? It was indeed, yeah. Um, and that was just, ah, it was phenomenal. The the art was great. The 
the story arc, which you know, the art was was there was variation in the artists across you know the whole range of issues because it was it was a, a fair chunk of a book, um, but the story arcs were so congruous you know they they hung together and relative to each other well starting off with you know dick being gifted uh Halle circus uh you know upon the mysterious death of, of the the owner uh, and that leading into the talon stuff you know the court of owls stuff uh, and uh, uh, that was that was great led in you know it actually was the preamble for court of owls there's times i think that that you know all of the bat family dick grayson is the most affected by court of owls uh, the most impacted by Court of Owls and the most personally connected in a way that, you know, Bruce is connected through Gotham and through the, you know, his his link to Gotham and his family's link to Gotham. But Dick is the most, I think, personally affected through his his great grandfather, uh, William Cobb, the, 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 the talent that was resurrected. And, uh, there were, you know, so, so all of that stuff was great. And then it went through, you know, it introduced a, a background cast, from Halley's Circus that were, were Dick's friends as, as, as kids and and a love interest in Rhea. And then we had, um, you know, Barbara obviously appearing variously. There was, a, you know, it led into some stuff that was a wee bit reminiscent of, of Tom Taylor's current run where uh, where one of uh, one of the the daughters of the, the man who killed the Graysons uh, in Halley's Circus uh, he was involved with her for a wee while, and then there was the death and the family stuff. All of that was just great, and then it led into you know through Forever Evil, uh, and uh, and then on the the Tom Taylor stuff, you know the the Grayson stuff. So it, it it just backs right up to the book that it's sitting next to, which is my Tom Taylor. Uh, you know, uh, well, it wasn't just Tom Taylor, but you know the the Grayson omnibus. Which just follows directly on, so it was a, it was a fantastic piece of work, really, really is. I can't believe you just did the most popular thing on Twitter regarding Tom Keane and called him Tom Taylor. Oh yes, I did. I mean, <laughs> you see, we're talking about Nightwing, uh, so my apologies, my apologies to the to the, the you know we were talking about Nightwing, but uh, yeah, sorry, Tom King, uh, who was involved in the in the Grayson the Grayson stuff. So it's understandable uh, you know. enough i mean there was even a tweet last night that midtown comics probably the biggest comic chain in the world put out a thing saying uh make sure to pick up tom taylor's latest issue this week of strange adventures and uh <laughs> tom taylor retweeted it just with um sure okay so they're not even sure if they're still trolling them or just doing it by accident so it's understandable it's, uh, it's, 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 it is i mean it is a an easy mistake to make i think you know that must mean you have thumbs. that must mean you have nightwing in various forms right from the start then so obviously you picked up volume one and volume two from the store you're now covered for the new 52 stuff you're then covered for moving on to grayson you then jumped on to the rebirth stuff that must be yep. you pretty yep. pretty stacked then i think i still have a couple of issues early rebirth that uh, you and i are sourcing um so yeah, there, and of course there's there's one thing that I'm I'm sort of looking for, and that's the the first appearance of Nightwing, the uh, Tales of the Teen Titans. Uh, so I, I'd be interested in getting a hold of a CGC of that. So if any okay. of our listeners have a spare Tales of the Teen Titans 44 sitting around, and would like to sell to a rather big Nightwing fan, uh, <laughs> get in touch with the store, and uh, we may be able to work something out. Yeah, it was a it was a week for omnibus reading, and uh, I. Randomly, I started at midnight of all times on Saturday night to start reading my, and now we are talking Tom Taylor, uh, his run on Injustice. And 
there's two massive omnibuy for these or omnibuses. We're never going to settle on that. But I sat and read it until 4.30ish in the morning. The light was starting to come in through the windows. It really was just that much of a page turner. I, I managed to finish off in just this year one and year two. And then I finished year three the next day. And there's some really interesting stuff in that with Dick Grayson. I think you would you would dig as well. Mm. But it was just a great. It's just a brilliant story. It's uh, the 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 crux of injustice is essentially that the Joker kills Lois Lane, and Superman, overcome by his grief, then kills the Joker, and that creates an instant divide between Batman and Superman. Superman, of course, always saying, "Think of how many lives you would have saved, Bruce, if you just took one life." And of course, Bruce's response being, "If you take a life, you're no better than the people you're trying to." you know you're trying to punish so to speak so it goes from there and then they both have their different ideologies they both have different people who back them up you know wonder woman is very much on superman's side but then of course catwoman and green arrow are on batman's side and it builds up over the years and shows how the world would change over that time but by the time you get the year three bruce has always been trying to take superman down on his own because batman at his base level is an arrogant arrogant man but he finally decides to uh, embrace one of Superman's weaknesses, which is that of magic. And Ooh. that brings in Constantine and Zatanna and Etrigan and Trigon. And it just gets bigger and bigger. And, of course, Detective Chimp is in there because he had to be. So, yeah, just a thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant volume. Uh, the biggest compliment I can give it is that I was about three hours into my reading. And I placed probably the latest order I've ever placed with Diamond Comics. Three in the morning, uh, Injustice Omnibus 1, Injustice Omnibus 2, to make sure we have them in the store. So brilliant, brilliant stuff. And it's that's sort of the benefit of getting your pull list read early in the week, I think. You you free your whole week up. Because comics are so relentless, you know, you free your whole week up. And then you can read not, some omnibuses and uh, or some trades or that kind of thing, you know. So I was, Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that, that's interesting. I'm, uh, I'm really interested in... And getting a getting a look at that, and it sort of it sort of has echoes of uh, I mean, last week was it last week? Chip Zdarsky released Justice League: The Last Ride. Last Ride, yeah, uh, which is about that rift between Batman and Superman. So it's an interesting thing, you know, considering their their DC's well, they're not necessarily the easiest friends sometimes, but certainly dependable. You know, the only the only friendship maybe that's a wee bit more dependable than that in the DC universe is that of uh, of John Kent and Damian Wayne. Yeah, ironically enough, the, ironically the two enough. who will be who will be Batman and and Superman of the future. Yeah, you look at something like Deceased, where they're obviously a lot older in that, and they've taken on the mantles of Superman and Batman. So Tom Taylor continuing it right through, but uh, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend Injustice, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely fire you my omnibus. It's the uh, the least I can do after you give me 144 issues of uh, Invincible to get through. So. <laughs> You know, you can have this one. But yeah, I mean, in terms of sort of outside of that, in terms of comics in the last week or so, I mean, we our delivery this week contained the new previews books. I'm sure a lot of people see a lot of the announcements online in advance. Obviously, they slowly filter out through, you know, Newsarama, Games Radar, through even just announcements from the creators themselves. But the previews book has arrived at is going to be the June previews book, and that will be for releases in August. As ever, we'll have you covered on the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We'll get a previews pod put together in the next week or so. We probably would do it sooner, but DC are taking their bloody time releasing their uh, solicitations. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the problem now that now that things have gone the way they've gone with regard to Diamond. You know, at least whenever everything was coming out together, it was all at the same time. Depend on it, but we're like, let's get you just get on with it, would you? You know, <laughs> it makes it easier for us to, to help, help us 
sell your stuff. You know? <laughs> Not that they need our help necessarily, but uh, oh, they depend yeah, on it. They depend on it, I think. But yeah, I mean, there, there there are certain titles starting to come out, little bits of news here and there. I mean, we we got quite excited today because there's uh, a new. I am going to have to disappoint you though, Keith. So I think this is might be a silly size uh, black label title. I'm not too sure, but you might just still be interested just because of the talent involved. And they announced a new seven issue comic book that's going to kick off in August, which is the Joker presents a puzzle box. And the main reason we're excited for this is you know we're big fans of Matthew Rosenberg. Really, really enjoyed his his run on various titles on on Marvel in the last couple of years. You think of things like Hawkeye Freefall, which was fantastic. I understand he was doing great things in the X-Men universe just before uh, Hickman took over. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it was uh, it was very, very good stuff. Um, uh, what was it? Astonishing X-Men that he was on. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was it was very, very good. Very good. Yeah, so it's uh, so having him on writing duties is, is exciting. You've got Jesus Moreno on art, uh, Joshua Hickson on colors, and Ulysses Areola on... Um, on lettering and then nicely as well you've got some nice looking uh, chip sadarsky covers coming up there as well but sounds really really interesting the uh the the solicitation for this is the gcpd discover a mysterious corpse a magical box and a murderer's row of the city's most dangerous villains all sitting in a jail cell now all they need to do is figure out what exactly happened fortunately one suspect is willing to talk unfortunately it's the joker and he's holding all the cards so I believe it's going to be a digital first series. I think it's coming out in July, but then it's going to be August 3rd for print copies. So if and when DC finally do launch their solicitations and we can tell you more about it, that will be included. And then Rosenberg as well. He said he had a a second announcement today and he's actually going to be writing backup stories for Detective Comics as well. I believe it's going to be Detective 1041 and 1042. So again, these uh, these details will come out in the previews podcast, and we'll certainly have a chat about that. What else launched this week? We had the Eternals trailer finally launched. This was a it was said it was a teaser trailer, but I thought there was a lot of footage in here. There there was an awful lot in a very short time. Uh, it was only a couple of minutes long, really, but uh, but it was I mean it was it was very very different from anything we've seen. Uh, you know, very different. Uh, we sort of spotlighted well didn't spotlight so much any of the characters we saw quite a bit of richard madden as icarus uh, icarus is the is the tactical leader of the eternals he can fly and um certainly in the comics super strong and can project energy beams uh we saw we saw a fair bit of angelina, angelina jolie um abs- oh she's thena uh, so Fina's the she's like the I guess Wonder Woman esque fierce warrior eternal cosmic energy. She's got a close bond with with Gilgamesh, um, and there's a there's a few others in there. So uh, Gemma Chan as Cersei, who's an empath, uh, and I think we saw our first look of Kit Harrington as Dean Whitman, the Black Knight. Uh, you know he's a, obviously a very very taken with the. Uh, the Black Knight, Curse of the Curse of the Ebony Blade, uh, that's currently coming out um, by Cy Spurrier, uh, and he's a you know certainly in this he he's playing Dane Whitman, who's a, a described as a human warrior who wields a mystical sword. They don't go as far as calling the Black Knight because uh, there's an awful lot of history and backstory to the Black Knight that goes right back to to Camelot and Avalon, you know. But the gist of the movie, you know, it it it, it picked up thousands of years ago in that teaser. Uh, as the uh, as the eternal ship, uh, I guess I don't know if it was first coming to Earth, um, but you know the Eternals have 
you know, they're an immortal race who have, we see them living through thousands and thousands of years, sort of quietly influencing human civilization, secretly living on Earth. And it seems to be the events of, of Endgame, you know, bring the Eternals into the public eye again, or, or for the first time ever. Uh, there's a wee joke at the end, you know, where where someone says, I think it's, uh, I think it's Sprite uh, says, well, now that now that Captain Rogers and Tony Stark are gone, who will lead the Avengers? And Icarus says, well, I could, and everybody has a good laugh about it, you know. So, um, so yeah, they're obviously they're obviously thrust into the fore following Endgame and reunite to protect humanity from, I guess, their evil counterparts, uh, the Deviants. Who are the, the the polar opposites of of the the, the, the Eternals? So, um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting. We're maybe going to see some Celestials in here as well. <laughs> so yeah, looks really looks really interesting. I just I thought it was a beautiful trailer. What did you reckon yourself? Yeah, really interesting. Really visually very interesting. Obviously, a very diverse cast. Lots of new characters. It's it's got a lot of ground to establish. But you know, the last time we thought that was Guardians of the Galaxy, and you know, it was maybe a lesser known property. And it turned out to be easily one of Marvel's best. Mm. It was interesting that they threw in a little voiceover of them saying, uh, we have never got involved in the affairs until now because I've seen a lot of reaction to this of, you know, when Thanos was attacking the galaxy, essentially, the Eternals were just like, meh, we'll leave it for now. But I was yeah. reading somewhere, apparently there was a theory that, or maybe this was posited in a comic book, you would probably know better than me, but that Thanos was actually an Eternal. And they, sort, eternal. Yeah. and they sort of looked at it as like, oh, we don't get involved in the affairs of our siblings, mm -hmm. let them do whatever. So I wonder if mm -hmm. that'll be addressed in the movie as well. I'd be interested to see. It's certainly been addressed in, in, the, uh, in the current Eternals comic. Uh, it's very much been, been addressed in, in that. Uh, and, and Thanos is featuring quite, quite heavily. So I don't, I don't think they're going to shy away from this. I mean, they're even, they're even highlighting odd wee things. So the Eternals... Uh, have a have a power uh, called the Unimind, where where any three of them can form a a gestalt entity that has all the uh, that has all the experience and powers and and such and abilities of, of of the Eternals that form it. And I noticed one of the scenes there were three of them together, and they seem to be linking up in some way. So they're even they're even going for that. So I would I would wouldn't be surprised if if Thanos was maybe the link here. Mm -hmm uh yeah really I, I really enjoyed it i've watched it a couple of times and uh, every time i watch it uh, i see a wee bit more um so yeah very very interested and is that a case of that you done with watching uh eternals trailers unless of course you're in the cinema and one pops up i know we always like to preach the idea of watch one trailer get a sense of the tone and that'll do just so you don't have too much ruined yeah that's me i mean that that's me it's got a it's got a november release date mm-hmm uh so i can i can hold off you know we've got black widow up next we've got shang chi we've got uh we've got the eternals and then i think we've got the third spider-man movie spider-man right? as i believe we will be getting that and i also think venom is out before the end of the year which we're both very excited about <sighs> but away from the marvel stuff we had the news this week that netflix is going to hold a week-long geek event in june now this is essentially a streaming event this you know think of something like dc fandom last year think about how e3 is mostly a virtual event now and this this doesn't surprise me because 
the one thing or one of the things that came out of certainly the whole pandemic i think netflix increased its hold on the streaming community even more and they're getting bigger and bigger so the fact that they have essentially their own con i suppose is not too surprising but very interesting poster they put together for it so they're going to be revealing details on masters of the universe revelation of course that's the one that kevin smith's involved in we've seen some images from looks really interesting and of course has the accompanying comic book there's going to be details on a new season of lucifer new seasons of the umbrella academy and the witcher the what two that intrigue me the most is there's going to be information on the sandman which i'm really curious to see how they're going to adapt that and also they they have put on the poster cowboy bebop i know they're doing a live action adaptation of one of my personal favorite mangas so I'll be curious about that as well. They also mentioned Sweet Tooth, the, the Robert Downey Jr. produced adaptation of Jeff Lemire's Masterworks. And they also mentioned Resident Evil. Now, I know they're working on a few different things for Netflix for Resident Evil. They're working on a TV show and I think a new movie as well. So definitely something to keep an eye for. It's, it's going to be kicking off on the 7th of June and then it looks like it's going to go on all week. So whether that's just going to be repeated content or a different announcement each night, uh, I'm not too sure. But definitely something to uh to keep an eye on and whenever you mention that cowboy bebop um christopher yost uh who was also his writing credits also include the mandalorian and thor ragnarok and uh, the avengers earth mightiest heroes cartoon which if you haven't seen you should absolutely see but uh more importantly uh, also included the new x-men x Force, scarlet spider and X-23, he's, uh, he's the writer, and uh, I don't know if he's the showrunner on that, Cowboy Bebop, so oh, it's in, okay. in solid hands. The things they don't mention are Ozark and uh, Better Call Saul, and those are the two that I'm most looking forward to. Those are the two I'm looking forward to slash dreading a little bit, because they're both confirmed to be the final seasons of oh, both. Oh, I know, I know. Although I think they're splitting Ozark, did they say 14 episodes, they're going to split it in two, that sort of thing? That's... That's what they said, yeah. So, and then Better Call Saul is just a show for me. It's just got better and better the more it goes through it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, uh, it's going to be a fairly tragic last season as we see his final transformation into Saul Goodman. Goodman. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, and where that goes. So, um, I see they've announced that Titans is getting a third season in August. I think that's about a year since its last season ended. Yeah, it's going to be through HBO Max. It's going to be uh, Greg Berlanti is going to be there. He he helped develop the show. He's responsible for a lot of the you know Berlanti verses they call it in the CW network. I've still not watched Titans season two. I enjoyed <laughs> season one. I haven't watched season one yet. <laughs> well, I mean, I enjoyed season one, and season one ends with you know Dick Grayson leaving behind the the Robin aspect and becoming and fully embracing Nightwing. So I think you would enjoy it. It it is it is a tone maybe more in line with Zack Snyder's view of the DC universe. It starts very dark, but it's all about Dick finding his humanity and and finding the brighter side that he gets because. He's quite a damaged character at the start of Titans, you know, obviously years of being by Batman's side and, you know, dealing with all that, but then he finds his own team and that brings more goodness out of him. I mm. really enjoyed the first season. I, I don't know why we haven't watched it yet. I think it's on Netflix, this side of the world, but I know for season three, they're going to have the Scarecrow in it. They're going to have Barbara Gordon in it. Uh, and then you've got uh, Tim Drake as well coming into it. And that's on top of, you've already got Starfire, Raven, Dick Grayson, Beast Boy, Hawk, Hawk and Dove were actually a, a highlight in season one as Ooh. well. And you also had a younger Jason Todd in it. So it is interesting. It's It, it was a good show. It was just it got a lot of press in, this, in the beginning because the first trailer came out. 
and someone mentioned Batman to Dick Grayson and that very infamous, yeah, you know, fuck Batman, you know. <laughs> it was like, we're yeah. trying so hard to be edgy, but... Yeah, just it was... I think that that maybe... I, I don't know, maybe that's why I didn't give it too much of a, of a run. I just thought that doesn't seem very Nightwingy. <laughs> I think you'd enjoy it because he, he, does, he does develop as a character and the guy they actually uh, cast as him is brilliant. Uh, Brendan Thwaites is his name. He actually is a perfect Ooh. Dick Grayson, so... No, I think you'd enjoy it. And there's plenty of nods to the comics and stuff as well. So I'll give it a wee. I'll give it a wee whirl. We're uh, we're uh, working our way through season three of The Crown, which is uh, very much not me, but it turns out is absolutely fantastic. Um, we're going our way through that. About three episodes deep in Jupiter's Legacy, which is really compelling. Yeah. Um, you know, telling the story in two two time frames. You know, where the where the original heroes got their powers, how that came about, and also then how things are going in the in the modern day some hundred and something years later um but yeah it's it's, it's very good very enjoyable um so we're on that and, and i've got a few other things on the on the burner too um but uh, yeah still still plenty going on in the old the old netflix uh you know and of course we're looking forward to uh, loki is it next week or the week after i know it kicks off on a wednesday i think it's about two weeks away i'm not 100 mm. percent sure but yeah we finished off punisher season two this week which was which was great i love that last image where uh, Frank Castle basically calls two rival gangs together and they meet in like a shipping container and they start arguing. It's like, you call this meet? No, you call it. And I was like, hey! And then, you know, <laughs> he walks in, two double machine guns just start shooting and then it ends with like a loud Frank Castle roar. Yeah. I, I don't think we'll see the Punisher for a while. I really don't. I think in the last year with all the, the rise and sort of exposure of pre- police brutality, you know, police using the Punisher symbol and I think Disney will stray away from the Punisher for a little while so if you want some good unedited unfiltered Punisher do watch the Netflix show because actually they're a really good adaptation jeez that is violent that is that is a violent season season two took it to another level didn't it I really did it really did so I think I lost count it was like an Arnie movie in the 80s you know so <laughs> so yeah <laughs> no that, bad thing. so that was us so yeah just Jessica Jones season three to go and then we have finally completed the Marvel Netflix saga so no, one to go Still, Jessica Jones season one is my favorite at this point. Yeah. What was your favorite overall? Because you've I mean, watched it huge, all, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was a huge fan at Daredevil. I really liked um, Luke Cage um, as well, especially the back. Well, the back half and the front half of that first season were two very different things, and then season two was was another thing again. I had a weak spot for Iron Fist, but it wasn't my favorite. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I think Daredevil was was up there. Daredevil, you know, I think set the set the tone. In a lot of ways, that's and it was, it was a good solid three seasons. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah, that'll uh, pretty much do it for us on the news side of things. Uh, just again, another friendly reminder that the store is indeed back fully open. Uh, so, still Monday to Saturdays, 10 to 5 every day. Uh, sitting facilities are available, but again, just do wear your mask if you're browsing around the store you know what we still want to be as responsible as possible here there's there's hand sanitizer when you walk in there's gloves if you want to use them to browse so uh just just use it use some common sense which most of our regulars if not all of them have an abundance and you'll be grand so it was uh it was really cool sitting today i went down uh, i went down this afternoon for a quick for a, a quick break uh, from from work, and I was I was sitting, and it was a, a quiet minute, I guess. Um, you'd finished the, the pool lists, and uh, we were sitting over a yarn, and, uh, and a, a very enthusiastic young guy popped into the store, and it was his first time. Mm-hmm. You know, he looked around, he was outside looking at the name of the store, he was totally flabbergasted with how much stuff. You know, he was only on his, his break, uh, and then we had a bit of a yarn to him, and uh, 
he was really keen on the podcast so uh so if you're if you're you're listening to this one welcome to the crew yeah. uh you know but uh but yeah he was he says once he gets a bit more time he'd be he'd be in and uh and, uh, and that so it's, it's great that people are are still finding the place you know and are are really pleased with what they find and it's also great just seeing the look of shock in their face when you go we'll be open four years in about a week <laughs> <laughs> what have i never heard of you but yeah it's great that there's still the audience out there to expand and everything so you know the more the merrier and in, in all ways so but yeah, we're we're here to talk comics as always as well. And we're going to be covering, again, the 19th of May releases. So everything that came out last week, uh, we'll do our usual breakdown. We'll go through some honorable mentions. We'll, we'll go through our own totals as well for the week. And then, of course, we'll finish off with picks of the week and then titles that we're looking forward to coming out on the 26th. So fairly neck and neck this week, to say the least. Uh, for me, my total was 20 and understandably only a couple of dc titles again due to that delayed shipping i had three dc titles i had four marvel titles and of course the big winner as always at the moment for me 13 indie titles so what about yourself what were your uh breakdown we are in fact naked and neck for i am also on 20 titles total uh breaks down to one dc uh just the one uh, and that i mean that's that's low for for me it's not very often that that's the case uh, 12 Marvel and 7 Indie and there was also a freebie and I do stress that it was a freebie if you're uh, if you're on the X-Men titles I think any of them or you were you were kind of giving away the the uh, Hellfire Gala official guide uh, for free and it is marked free on the front covers and you want to say about that Alan? Well you know there's there's been a little bit of an uproar in the comic community a few different stores have been selling them for five pounds seven pounds whatever I, I've never understood that Far be it for me ever to mention how anybody else should run their business, but you know these these were freebies. I, I we didn't even order them; they were they were sent to us to give out to people. It's all about generating hype. It's all about generating interest, and you know who doesn't love a little freebie? So yeah, anybody who had X Men titles, I tried my best to to stick one in the. Obviously, we bag and board everything, so I would put it in the back of one of the titles. We still have a couple of copies in store. Again, if you have any interest in Hellfire Gala, which is the upcoming X Men event. You know, just pop in the shop and we'll we'll get you sorted with one once again for free. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is really cool. It's really worth picking up, and it's got it's got me buzzing for the Hellfire Gala. You know, uh, and just what they're doing, and uh, you know, they're talking about trying to make this an annual event now. But uh, but it's uh, it starts off, you know, the White Queen Emma Frost, you know, who's council member of Krakoa and the White Queen of the Hellfire Trading Company. She's holding a press conference in Manhattan's fashion district about the upcoming Hellfire Gala, and there's questions from people like uh, Ben Urich, who we who we know quite well from mm-hmm. uh, Daily Bugle work and 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 Daredevil, and and all asking about the the gala and what people are wearing. So that the the crux of it is it's it's all of the designs for the the costumes that all of our our heroes, uh, all of the X Men and, and and those attending will be wearing to the and. You can't fault this because all of those designs are drawn by Russell Dodderman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got Russell Dodderman art all the way through this, and there's just some really cool. All of the costumes are really cool reinterpretations of their existing costumes for the most part, and and really reflect the you know the characters' uh, personalities. You know, so everything you know storms storm nearly and and uses their powers storms hair you know almost looks like a cloud and then it, it, it melds into her cape which looks like a black storm cloud you know which is class and then 
Likewise, then you've got Cyclops, who just looks fairly buttoned down, and, and he's got a big X across his chest, and, you know, so some of them are really awesome, and I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who appreciates fashion, but I do love art, you know, good art, and then, you know, someone like uh, Colossus is really embracing the, you know, I guess the Russian side of his style, you know, and there's very much that, that, that Russian aspect, it's just, it's very, very cool, uh, there's, you know, apparently interviews with uh with, with various designers um you know in the uh, you know who, who are involved and it really it, you know uh, jumbo carnation i guess is the fashion designer uh, i think he's the four armed or six armed fashion designer on the island and he's he's talking about you know who's done their gowns and who's done their hairs and nail their hair and nails and all of this it's just it's so cool and then of course it, it has the program of events which is just all the issues that are that are uh, covering the, the hellfire gala it's just it seems like a really interesting way to organize an event. Uh, you know, it doesn't tie you down to anything, but it, you're just kind of going, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I wouldn't mind seeing that. So really buzzing for uh, really buzzing for that and really buzzing for uh, for X-Men 1, uh, you know, to follow it. But again, I would say if, if you're just dipping in to the Hellfire Gala, then maybe the book you want to be looking at is Planet Size X-Men, the one shot by Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larraz. That uh, says, please stay for major announcement regarding the future of mutant kind. So, but there's a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, so, yeah, buzzing for this. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Planet Size X Men seems to be the one that'll cover cover most of the main plot points, and then it's all about those different points of view. So, it's a very interestingly structured event, and hopefully, as you say, it's it's certainly one for the completionists who want all the issues, but it's also one that hopefully you'll you'll enjoy, even if you only get say four or five of the issues out of twelve, mm-hmm. or there's only certain characters that you want to follow, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, again, we've we've still got a few copies of that little uh, that little sampler in the store, so pop in if you if you fancy grabbing one of those and see if it whets the appetite. But we'll get on to uh, the comics from this week then, and we'll we'll break it down as well as do by honourable mentions uh, first of all and. We'll kick things off with DC. As I stated in the intro and, and just a little bit ago there, there was obviously a, a delayed shipping with DC this week. There was four major titles that I know I was on all four. I think you were on at least three of them. You know, Nightwing, mm-hmm. Justice League, uh, Flash, and a new Batman title that kicks off, which is Legends of the Dark Knight. And they were all delayed, so they'll all be part of next week's show and, and, and this week's releases. But... There were still three titles that I picked up and I thoroughly enjoyed all three of them. You know, the first one was Catwoman number 31. So this is Ram V continuing on in Catwoman and Fernando Blanco on art. You know, we chatted with Ram a little while ago and we asked him about his inspiration for heists and, you know, where he comes up with the ideas. And he was saying they were almost a distraction from writing. So it's only apt that this title or this issue is called Misdirection. <laughs> and it's all about so the, the issue basically kicks off with uh, Catwoman being held at gunpoint by uh, a rich man at a party and she has basically stolen his painting by a very famous uh, Spanish artist I believe Edgar Degas and but of course as he's questioning her the the real sort of plot becomes true about what she was actually stealing and this rich man had actually been holding poison ivy hostage and was doing experiments on her and seeing how she interacts with the green and and obviously pam pamela isley is you know selena kyle's friend so the whole issue is all about how she misdirects away all attention on her stealing a painting when actually they are trying to get poison ivy and help her escape and there's some really nice some really nice tender moments in it you know it's it delves into their friendship quite a bit. You know, you have uh, 
you have a little bit of stuff where they're they're getting back together for the first time they've seen each other in a long time and you know Catwoman sort of says to her poison ivy and she goes no no poison anymore just ivy you know she's obviously what what ram's been doing with a lot of this uh this run so far is trying to give a bit of humanity to villains you know he already in, introduced the riddler a couple of issues ago and he helped selena with a couple of things now you've got ivy who's always sort of towed the line but what's really interesting in this as well is you've got at least three or four pages of simon saint as well who of course we know from the main batman title he's starting to oh. poke in through uh, setting up all the magistrate stuff and all the future state stuff and and th- this is another good example of i know you've always obviously as more of a marvel guy you've always really enjoyed how well connected the marvel titles can be you know oh. a little mention here a little you know connection there and ever since infinite frontier i feel dc have really started to get a handle on this because this really references the the batman stuff that's going on but it doesn't need Batman involved in it to reference it. You know what I mean? It's it's a very much a Catwoman title. It's not anything to do with you know Bruce Wayne or Batman or Gotham or anything like that. So, just I mean, I'll make uh, make a couple of comments on what you're you're saying because I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the first, do you remember there was a Future State backstory mm-hmm. uh, that featured uh, Catwoman and Poison Ivy? Uh, they were rescuing a robot. Uh, from a cruel man who was misusing the robot. I can't remember. I can't remember what story it was in. So I mean, there's there's something there that that connection between Ivy and yeah and uh, and Selena. I mean, is that is that referencing back to that future state story? Because a lot of what's going on in the DC universe right now, the Infinite Front, is referencing back to the future yeah. state stuff. And then the other thing is, Ram V is also doing something very similar with Poison Ivy in the current issue of Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where uh, where uh, our 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 protagonist meets Poison Ivy in the green and two different versions of her, both Poison Ivy and Ivy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so interesting. He's obviously got an interest there as well. He obviously likes green women with red hair. It would appear. <laughs> so, but yeah, just a really playful issue. You know, it's uh, any issue that involves heist is always interesting. You know, lots of panel breakdowns, lots of misdirection, lots of characters involved, lots of reveals, page turns, that kind of thing. So really cool effortless art from Fernando Blanco. You know, it keeps it going really, really nicely. It's it's an art style you would love, Keith. It's very, very clean lines and it's very interesting camera angles and good colors. And, you know, when when you're introduced then to Simon Saint and so forth, you know, there's lots of deep reds and he's high up in a, you know, tar well protected and he's doing experiments on another different woman. And just, yeah, really, really solid stuff. Catwoman's been a great title for a while and it's... It's one that seems to slip under the radar. Not a lot of people are on Catwoman. Just the way I would say, you know, Stephen speaks to me all the time about how good Jed McKay's Black Cat is. And, you know, for the 30 people we have in store who are on Amazing Spider-Man, we have seven on Black Cat. For the 45 people we have on Batman in store, we have nine on Catwoman. And it's a shame mm. because they're 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 really, really good books. So, yeah, Catwoman 31, really good stuff. I continue to collect the variants and this one came with a rather beautiful jenny frisson variant so it's one of those ones that when it arrives you go i'm glad i'm collecting variants for this and not cover it so yeah that was catwoman 31 uh, another title i thought was pretty strong this week and another variant i went for as well uh mainly because of you know the, unfortunately the the tragic passing recently of john paul leon mm. uh he provided a cover for this which was superman red and blue number three beautiful cover to that so this one has uh stories by jesse j holland with art by laura braga also you have 
one written, drawn, and lettered by Michael Fife. Uh, you also have written by Brandon Thomas and art by Barrett Pesmeski. And then we had one by Nick Spencer and Christian Ward. And then we finished off with one by James Stokoe as well. So this was by no means the strongest issue of Superman Red and Blue. It's been a title I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed so far. But I thought there was some really good stuff in here. I mean, the first story about, you know, again, it's another one of Superman's weaknesses, I suppose, that he can't be everywhere at once. But it's essentially a story where he's trying to get an interview with someone. But at the same time, he's supposed to be meeting Bruce Wayne and Diana for, for dinner. They're taking bets about whether he'll turn up on time or whether that he'll get distracted helping people. You know, but at the same time, he's such a farm boy. He needs to be punctual as well. And I You know what put me off this story? Mm-hmm. It was the fact that uh, Superman looked a wee bit Henry Cavill. The fact that Wonder Woman looked a wee bit Gal Gadot. And the fact that uh, Batman looked a wee bit, you know, uh, Ben Ben Flick like. Why would that put you? It just it just (laughs) pulled me out of it completely. It pulled me out of the story, Uh, you know. But do you see what I mean? Yeah, I I can see comparisons there. I mean, I I don't mind that. That that doesn't bother me. I mean, I didn't really notice it when I read it the first time. Now that you pointed out, I can sort of see a bit more what you mean, but. But I'm happy with those representations of those characters, and I know you're not quite so much, but certainly well, maybe yeah. not of the movies they're involved in. But uh, on the other hand, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the the Brandon Thomas, uh, Brad Pigmetsky, uh, uh, Man Most Saved, the, mm-hmm. the third story. It was it was great. <laughs> it was very very good. Um, there was a lot going on there, you know the the. The fact that you know Superman has saved Charlie so many times, but Charlie's also saved Superman, uh, which I thought was I thought was was really uh, was really cool, uh, <laughs> very very good indeed. Um, so that was that was enjoyable, and then the last story was kind of nice as well, uh, the the Nick Spencer story uh, that really sort of revolved around around the kids and the toy, the toy man and the teddy bear uh so or sorry the second last story um yeah yeah i kind of i kind of liked in that third one that you had mentioned there that that it ends with you know superman and charlie meeting again and it says in blue the 13th time which obviously how many times superman saved him then yeah. in red it said the second time that he had saved <laughs> superman so and then yeah i enjoyed the last story as well I, i'm a big fan of james stokoe he's the uh the artist creator of uh orphan and the five beasts and it was just one of those ones where basically a giant asteroid is heading towards Earth, and it's up to Superman sort of how to deal with it. But That's then it no tur- asteroid. But then it turns out that it is indeed no asteroid, and it was just uh, it was almost like a little alien that was just lost and just needed Superman to be nice to it. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's as I say, it wasn't the strongest one so far. There were definitely better stories in earlier ones, but I still thought there was a lot to love here. And yeah. and this is probably my my favorite anthology series at the moment. I. It was really funny in the store the other day because Keith was flicking through the Marvel book and he's never expressed too much annoyance at all these uh, all these anthologies. But then I just heard the words, damn it, why is everything black, white and red? And of course, it's because it's Deadpool, which uh, was clearly the straw that broke the camel's back for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Deadpool can easily, you know, yeah, do that for me. <laughs> and then just uh, one more DC one to finish off with. And this is one just that I've read, but I'll certainly throw it to you, Keith, because I think you'd really dig it. Uh, DC are doing another anthology series called Truth and Justice, but instead of having multiple stories in each issue, it's just each issue is its own self-contained story with different creative teams each time. So for this Truth and Justice 
I was always going to be drawn to this because one of my favorite artists, Rob Gilroy, creator of Farmhand, artist on Chew, not really someone you would associate with the sort of dingy, dark back alleys of Gotham. And I thought this would be really interesting to read just from that point of view alone. Uh, the issue is written by Jeff Trammell, who's someone I'm not overly familiar with, I have to admit. But the basic crux of this story, it was revolving around Jason Todd and a friend of his had been gunned down in an alleyway in Gotham. And it turns out that he was one of his first friends when he came to Gotham. There's lots of little throwbacks to, you know, how he met Batman, where he's trying to steal the wheel off the Batmobile and being taken in and so forth. But the main uh, plot revolves around Red Hood facing off with Scarecrow. And Scarecrow is able to inject his fear toxin into Jason. And then you basically go through almost a journey of Jason's mind. You know, it's a journey of, you know, how he'll never match up to Nightwing because he was the original Robin and he's always playing catch up to him. It's it's all about how Batman will always look down on him as a constant disappointment. It's it's all about this worry that he could go down such a dark path that he could actually become the Joker. It's a really, really cool little issue. Uh, lots of really good art and, and a lot darker art than I would have expected from Rob Gilroy. There are still a few wee background details as he always likes to do. A little sign here, a little bit of humour there. But yeah, really, really strong. This I've, I've collected all of this Truth and Justice, but I haven't actually read number one or number two. Number three, I know you picked up as well because it was a mm-hmm. John Constantine story. But this also ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger and it makes me wonder if this is going to lead to uh, possibly a separate title involving Jason Todd or Red Hood. I don't want to tell you what the how it does end because it is really, really interesting and, and I think you'd dig this issue in general. But mm-hmm. really strong truth and justice. It's we've only got a people a few people with it on pull lists, but I think in a weird way it's almost been marketed badly. It it almost could have been like annuals. You know what I mean? They could have done a Constantine annual for number three. They could have done a Red Hood annual for this one or a Red Hood one shot. Putting it all under this truth and justice banner is a little strange because issue one revolved around Vixen, who's not really a character a lot of people are familiar with. You know, if you'd have maybe went with uh, with Constantine straight up or with with this one, then maybe more would have jumped on it. But uh, I'll stick that to the side. I'll throw that in my bag and I'll I'll throw it in your uh, in your pull list tomorrow. You can have a wee, have a wee read of that. So yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Just on the honorable mentions again, just uh, a lower week for DC, but plenty of Marvel stuff. A uh, few titles I've read and plenty of titles Keith's read. So why don't you kick things off for us for the Marvel honorable mentions? Uh, so I'll kick off with. Uh... Immortal Hulk Time of Monsters number one uh, by Al Ewing who is of course the uh, originator of, of this version the, the Immortal Hulk which is is coming to its end relatively soon uh, Alex uh, Pacnadel, uh, Juan Ferreira, Ferreira and Corey Petit um, so this has got a, a main story, an oversized story and then there's a, there's a backup uh, that is clearly set maybe before or in the early issues of Immortal Hulk uh, by uh, David Vaughn and Kevin Nolan. Um, this is a one-shot, but I would say it's it's essential reading if you're reading uh, Immortal Hulk. And it, it reveals the story of the, the true first Hulk and the horror of, uh, of, of who he is and, and how he got there. So it's it seems to be set, you know, it's set, sorry, it's set... Uh, 10,000 years ago and uh, we're introduced to a world uh, a village that is suffering from drought and and, uh, and and hunger and all of that and 
the father is this is this shaman and and he's he's interested in the mother goddess and her great green eye but the great green eye isn't what he thought it is or what it seems to be it's it's the great green eye appears to be a stone or a meteor uh, and uh, connected to the to the green door uh, which if you're reading a mortal hulk you you know what the the green door is and what it represents and and through that you know the the shaman sacrifices his his son tammuz and unleashes a horror on the village and that's a horror that we today know as the hulk um or at least the the first version of the hulk so it's yeah i mean it's got this prehistoric word um you know it, it's it looks great um pack nadell's art is is fantastic it's, it's very different from joe bennett's art but it makes enough you know cross links to the the body horror that joe bennett has has used to such great effect in the immortal hulk that it's uh it just it just works it just works so well and it just seems like you you couldn't you, you couldn't separate it you couldn't separate it from you know the immortal hulk so i would i would absolutely if you're an immortal hulk absolutely pick this up it's it's essential reading and if you're not if you're not picking it up you're you're missing out the backup story also also pretty wonderful um it's uh yeah a lot of yeah yeah it's it's a lot of the a lot of the same elements different setting maybe it would be nice to see these guys pick up if uh, whenever whenever uh, al ewing uh, and, and joe bennett move on do you think that they'll continue with an immortal hulk series or do you think that you know it is sort of al ewing's baby and they won't not that they won't they won't be allowed to continue with it, if you know what I mean. But they're sort of synonymous with. He's so synonymous with it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. He is now, and but I sort of feel like I feel like once issue fifty hits, you know, with the the various one shots that been involved. This, you know, the Declan Shelby mm-hmm. uh, one shot, you know, the all of those. It's nearly a self-contained Immortal Hulk universe. Yeah, you know, so. I mean, I think they can probably go whatever direction they want with Hulk now. But what what Al Ewing has introduced to the Hulk, you know, the idea of the 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 multiple personalities and the the systems that 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 Banner uses to manage those and how they manifest in different forms of Hulk and uh, just uh, it would be a shame to see it left behind because it really it's 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 seminal for the character now. Like this is this has been an unbelievable run and he doesn't Al Ewing never overwrites it. He it gives you enough it gives you enough thread and then lets you lets you find the end of it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of ways. So he credits he credits the reader with a wee bit of a wee bit of wit as well. So there's something nice about that. Um but yeah this this time of monsters one shot absolutely adds to that that lore and uh, a very good story. So uh, I know you're you haven't been. You're not up to date in the Mortal Hulk, but uh, you'll be looking forward to it being over, uh, so you can you can catch up on it. And I would say, Alan, grab this, grab this as well. Yeah, I mean, I I have it. I've been collecting the one shots as well, anyway. And uh, I I obviously want to have the complete Immortal Hulk collection. It's just, again, people have probably heard me chat about it on here before, but just I gave some of my issues up early on, and now I'm having trouble tracking them back down. But I seem to have the most expensive ones taken care of so far, so I just have to really backtrace the others. But, but yeah, Immortal Hulk time on Monsters number one there. Uh, what about Amazing Spider-Man? I believe this was kicking off a new story after the Jan-sized Spider-Man one finished off King's Ransom. 
kind of kicking off a new story, but more an in-between issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, King's Ransom finished, uh, you know, and we've we've got a we've got a minute uh, the other side, and and Spidey's picking up the pieces. Um, but it, it's never easy for it's never easy for Peter and Nick Spencer. Never gives them too long to to sit about this. I mean, Mark Bagley is on the art. What else do they need to say? Um, Mark Bagley's art on on Spidey is is great. So, but but yeah, we have we have not the finish of the Kindred story, but the the I guess the next chapter uh, ramping up. Um, we have the return last issue of a of a character from. I guess from you know he was he was made big in the eighties and that was the Rose the son of Kingpin, mm-hmm. uh, who's a he's a fantastic character and uh, we have a lovely scene between uh, Tombstone and Joe Robertson long time rivals long time arch enemies who are now united as their as their children are dating uh, and they kind of they have a bit of a cheers and a bit of a truce which is is amazing to see again another another massive deep cut from Nick Spencer so. So this is, uh, yeah, this is, and, and, and we have a continuation of the, the Carly Cooper storyline, but so it all just looks good throughout because because Mark Bagley. Uh, so they're, they're, he's setting up a, a bunch of stuff here. We have the return of Betty Brunt as well. Uh, Betty Brunt plus Bump, um, which is, uh, is a nice one for Baker. And a wee bit of a, a, wee bit of a, a shock, a shock ending. Um, so things are, things are starting to come together. And I think... Uh, what have we got next up uh, with regard to story arcs and and, and Spider-Man? Uh, it is uh, the, the Chameleon Conspiracy. Chameleon Conspiracy, I believe. Uh, and then we're going to be in the Sinister War, I think. Yeah, so and so really Nick Spencer is really enjoying recycling old Spider-Man villains. You know, uh, Doc Ock's been appearing a wee bit and uh, Green Goblin has been in there in, in, in various ways. And we've got Chameleon popping up and then we've got the Sinister Sticks coming back or, mm-hmm. uh, or a wee bit more. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. Uh, really enjoyed this. Spidey's life is never simple. It never should be simple. It's never meant to be simple. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces uh, going on at the minute. And uh, I just like this wee sort of in-between issue. Uh, and, and obviously anything that Mark Bagley's on that involves Spider-Man, I'm right there. You are always sold on a bit of Mark Bagley art-wise. So yeah, I mean, the, the trade set bef- just before King's Ransom actually comes out this week as well. So they've been con- they've been pumping out the trades for this amazing Spider-Man run. So if you do fancy getting into it, we should have all the trades from Volume 1 right up for all of Nick Spencer's stuff. So if you quite fancy digging into that, we should be able to get you sorted there. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Kingpin there in Amazing Spider-Man 66. So of course he plays his usual big role in Daredevil 30. So the latest issue of the Chip Zdarsky, Marco Cicchetto run. Uh, this one also has Mike Hawthorne on pencils as well as Chichetto. So another really strong issue of Daredevil. I mean, Matt is recovering in the hospital after the, the latest attack in the prison. He is suffering from a massive pity party right here. Uh, he actually has people come to him. The police come to him. Nathan Cole, he has his, his lawyers come to him. And they've come up with this idea of how Matt can essentially be almost an informant inside the prison. And to cut his term down because they really want to get him out of prison. But Matt's hip deep in pity here and he says, I'm serving my full term no matter what. He's uh, he's We find him very, very low here. But by contrast, we find Electra quite high. You know, she's she seems to be settling into the role of Daredevil quite nicely, quite enjoying it. She's even taken on a, a ward as such and is, and is training them. That'll come in handy later in the issue. 
and then you have Kingpin re uh, reconnecting with Typhoid Mary after a little bit of a a little bit of trouble between the two of them, uh, especially through the uh, the Keenan Black issues. Uh, add to that, you've got a new villain thrown in this issue that looks an awful lot like Jason Voorhees in the mm. uh, in the club, and you also have a very strong ending to the issue as well with uh, Bullseye escaping from the clutches of the Kingpin as well. So, really, really strong issue again, as is always the way. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely is the. The the doubling up on artists put me off a wee bit, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, Mike Mike Hawthorne is, is is good at what he does for sure, but whenever you put him next to Marco Cicero, it just it, it just it put me off just a wee bit. The way they divided it was was uh, Hawthorne covered the uh, the the Matt Murdock parts and, yeah. and Cicero covered the uh, electro the electro parts. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, it was a it was a good issue. We have the return of the hand significantly for Electra, um, you know, as significant as the re- the return of of uh, Bullseye is. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Now I have to say, I enjoyed it. Of course, I, I always enjoy it. It's such a great, uh, such a great uh, series, you know, and and also the son of Kingpin, uh, or Kingpin's other son, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so both of Kingpin's sons are, are making an appearance of late, and I wonder will, I wonder will a return of the Rose impact on Zdarsky's run here on Daredevil because that's fairly significant, especially when he's making use of of, of Kingpin's other kid. Yeah. Also comes with a really glorious cover. This one from Chichetto. It's it's actually one that the the comic supplier sent us as a poster that. I'm not too ashamed to say I may have pilfered for myself and will be sticking in a frame. A beautiful image of Electra, sun rising in New York City and a little newspaper from the Daily Bugle just going past her saying Daredevil dead, question mark. So, yeah, really solid stuff from Daredevil as it always is. A uh, few EX titles for you to throw a bit of love out for. Yeah, so just, uh, just to say as well, I mean, uh, they're making fantastic use of uh, Electra's signature hair, which John Romita <laughs> Jr. always drew as all over the place and they're they're making no change you know whenever it was i think in the frank miller run on daredevil yeah and, um you know that very much was was signature and uh, i really enjoyed seeing that seeing that in this issue as well so uh so yeah a couple of a uh, couple of x titles from from myself uh gonna talk about wolverine number 12 uh by uh by benjamin benjamin percy scott eaton on pencils um I just how how often do you have to bang on about this before you pick it up, well it, It's great. I um, pick it up every single week. I bring it home and I hand it to Vicky. Well, you, you just need to, you just you know how good Benjamin Percy was on Year Zero, uh, and a variety of other things. So uh, I would you know follow follow your creators, Alan. Follow your creators. <laughs> um, so very much in the depths of the the Vampire Nation story with them amassing power under Dracula's leadership and using the the blood clocks uh, that they've uh, used by harvesting Wolverine's blood. Uh, so it, very much the story, Wolverine's friend Louise, who's a member of the vampire hunting night guard, has been attacked and become a vampire herself. So there's a lot of good stuff in this issue um, with uh, Omega Red and, and that whole thing with, with Louise. X-Force uh, guests star a little bit in here. I love seeing Wolverine up against vampires. The political machinations of Dracula, uh, you know, that are going on here and in Avengers, uh, pre-Heroes Reborn. 
so yeah, just uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, really enjoyed this issue. Really enjoyed the look of this issue. I'm really I'm loving what they're doing with Wolverine's quest to destroy the vampires. He just Brian, Benjamin Percy just writes a fantastic Wolverine. Characterizes him, him perfectly. It's top notch. Uh, the vampires are are novel. Uh, they're they're a wee bit different, you know. They you don't you don't feel bored. Um, yeah, I I think Wolverine continues to be one of the one of the best X books on the shelves uh, for sure. And uh, they effort effortlessly uh, pull in uh, stuff from Ten of Swords into this uh, right at the end. You just so the Ten of Swords stuff just keeps on giving. Uh, and this there's a within the uh, the realm of Otherworld where Ten of Swords took place. There was a, a kingdom called uh, Sevalith, which uh, Sevalith was a realm of vampires, but they're much more um, they're they're more like royalty, and they're they're s- superior by design, as Wolverine says, as opposed to the bloodsuckers on Earth that come from a Dracula's inbred strain. Uh, so Wolverine effectively sets them against each other, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting. So I love what they're doing, where they're they're pulling the the ten of swords stuff and the connections that were made there and uh, yeah very very interesting Wolverine book and then following up on that very very different is uh, is the way of X uh, as I guess Sisbarier so hard to complain um, as Nightcrawler starts to explore uh, you know the something rotten at the center of the mutant nation uh you know at the center of their morals and uh and and, and what embodies that the and the, the stories of of the patchwork man whoever the hell that is um a lot of a lot of metaphysical stuff very funny book um looks good as well um the artist is uh bob quinn uh but yeah it's uh it's very good charles xavier in the last issue detected an omega-level mutant preying on the nightmares of Krakoans. Uh, the assumption was it was his own wayward son, David Haller, Legion, uh, who was well-known for that, uh, I guess, in that TV series of, of late. But uh, this is worth picking up uh, for Legion's final words in the issue, uh, where Legion says, parents don't always think straight when it comes to their heirs, Kurt. Onslaught, Kurt. It's bloody onslaught. I just went, ooh! <laughs> <laughs> so really looking forward to, you know, that that idea that Onslaught might be coming back is just, uh, that's that's candy, the old X-Fans. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, really, really looking forward to seeing seeing where this goes. Uh, issue two, and it's it's doing its thing. It's doing its thing. Yeah, you mentioned Onslaught. I've got a, an omnibus over there on the shelf, which is, x-men slash avengers onslaught so that'll have me pretty well covered i'm guessing before any yeah of this i mean the really interesting thing that the really interesting thing about onslaught is onslaught was teased for so long like for for like year two years or something they teased onslaught mm-hmm. as he as a you know a juggernaut was punched across half of america and, and all of this and i mean it's no i don't think it's any, it's any surprise to, to anybody who has read comics but the interesting thing about Onslaught is Onslaught was a combination of uh, the worst of Magneto and the worst of Charles Xavier. So it was effectively the son of Magneto and, and Xavier, which is in some ways makes him 
makes him David Haller, Legion's stepbrother in a way, mm-hmm. in a weird way. So Onslaught was a psychic entity who was created whenever uh, in Fatal Attractions, uh, Xavier shut down Magneto's mind. He, he did a he did something that, you know, he, I suppose in a way, mind raped Magneto. And, uh, you know, he shut down his mind to stop him from, from doing that and uh, doing whatever he was doing at the time. And and in that, part of part of Magneto's, an iota of Magneto's morality or lack thereof entered Xavier and, and, and became, you know, from that just stated Onslaught. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a gun. And, you know, from Onslaught, we're, we're now celebrating 25 years of Heroes Reborn and Heroes Reborn was spawned by Onslaught. Mm-hmm. Um, so can't believe that's 25 years ago. Wow. Time flies. <laughs> Time flies. I mean, we're, we're going to go back even further than that. We're going to go right back to the 60s with our last one for Marvel Honorable Mentions, and that is the first issue of Fantastic Four Life Story. So again, Life Story is uh, a new, a relatively new concept for Marvel. They did it brilliantly with Spider-Man. Characters would age through the decades. We would be touching on a lot of the iconic storylines that uh that we have enjoyed over the years but it would be a case of seeing them through the the lens of an old of older characters as well so it was done brilliantly in spider-man fantastic four life story number one kicked off this week i enjoyed it to a degree it was it was sort of telling me a lot of stuff i already know which you know keith and i had a little bit of a chat about it in store today i mean the the first issue is maybe going to be the trickiest one because you got to do all that origin stuff and you know, you're going right back to the 60s with that. I mean, I did really, really enjoy the art in it. I thought the art was really, really good, especially any page that included Galactus, mm. you know, who was basically, you know, the stuff of nightmares for Reed Richards throughout this issue. And anytime he was brought onto the onto the page, especially in a beautiful double page spread at one point, uh, was, was phenomenal, I thought so. I did. I did enjoy it, and I'm definitely going to stick with it. There was one or two little uh, emotional, heartbreaking moments, especially revolving around Ben. And mm. uh, yeah, but for for Mister Marvel like yourself, how was your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. the The first issue of these is always the most difficult because you know you're you're retelling stuff that 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 folk know. You're just you're squishing it all together before you because the real trick of the life story stuff is the characters get older. Yeah. In a way that they, they haven't, so you're not really seeing that. So you, and that's what we're looking. That's really what we're looking for the impact of, isn't it? Yeah, I think you so. Know, as those characters get older, but uh, I thought I thought uh, Mark Russell's script was phenomenal. I thought Sean Isaac's art was great. Yeah, uh, really, really good. And I love how they've they've pulled in Galactus here into their origin of the Fantastic Four. Uh, you know, right, right. It, it seems almost like. The cosmic rays are emanating from Galactus, the, the rays that give them their parts. It's interesting to see them at this stage, where you know you have the awkward romance between Reed and Sue, and then Johnny is very much the kid brother. You know, he's he's he remains the kid brother, but he's he's grown up, he's evolved, he's a he's a, a seasoned superhero now. And 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 Ben, you know, I thought it was interesting. Classically, Ben is. Reed's buddy from college, mm-hmm. but in this he's a guy that Johnny knows. Johnny knows, yeah. Uh, which was a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a twist. He's a pilot. Always love seeing the classic Fantastic Four uh, comics. So they they've hit all the beats. You know how uh, Reed needed to launch the rocket early. Uh, cosmic rays interacted with the antimatter fuel. And this, you know, previously he hadn't got the shielding right. Um, they really make, you know, 
they really make Sue not just the damsel in distress. You know, she's like, well, of course I know. I double checked all your calculations. <laughs> you know, so that 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 pulled from the ultimate Fantastic Four. Um, and yeah, whenever you're saying there's some there's some moments, you know, it's that early relationship between Reed and and the Thing, and you know Ben Grimm blaming Reed. You know, that's classic Fantastic Four. It's yeah. Just, this this was classic Fantastic Four. Um, you know, in the, in the best way. We watch them as they start to become a family. Uh, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I have to say I enjoyed it. Um, and I think I'm, I think we're going to continue to enjoy it. Uh, we love the concept that, that Chips Zdarsky created. Um, and it's nice to see it applied this way, but I think we'll really start to see it as they, as they get a bit older. Yeah, I did like how they effortlessly pulled in real-world events for it. You know, you obviously kick things off. You've got JFK and the... And the white house you've got obviously the whole space race going on i like that there's a part where they're they're referred to as overnight sensations and they're meeting the beatles mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. behind a stage curtain i like that you've got the moon landing on the tv in the background i i do think that gives it a little bit more uh, gravitas as well as you know pulling in those real world events and it, it always lets you know where you are in the the sort of timeline but there was also there was one great little piece of art I thought where Reed's looking out uh, the window. It's about halfway through the the book. It's on the same page as the Beatles actually, but it's where he's looking out the window of like a high rise building. Maybe it could be the Baxter Building. I don't know. But and he sort of sees the outline of Galactus almost projected onto a building across the street. Like two of the lights are on. Uh, yes, and then, uh, I thought it was really cool. It just yeah, the the art was the star of this for me. I thought the art was fantastic the whole way through, and it was a nice mix of your favored clean lines but also sort of big splash pages with lots of sort of cosmic rays and bright colors and you know the cosmos and stuff so yeah i mean yeah, it was <laughs> yeah good. i love that uh, i love that typical ben grimm whenever they they're, they're meeting the uh you know the, the fantastic four meet the fab four and uh you've got ben grimm at the back in the back you know as the as the two group as the beatles and the fantastic four meet then uh, ben's like hey if any of you want a haircut i know a guy in brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> he always knows a guy and he thinks the Beatles need a haircut. <laughs> I think we all look back in the Beatles and think they need a haircut. But that's by the by. Yeah, uh, I think uh, it would be worth if you're not if you're not on this. I think you know if if Spider-Man life stories and to go by this is going to be worth jumping on and, and everything's in the right place. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. So yeah, Fantastic Four life story number one there, finishing off the Marvel honorable mentions. So. Move on then to the indie honourable mentions. Just a couple here to chat about. I mean, I say just a couple to chat about, but there were a couple of these that very easily could have made it onto pick of the week material. Uh, the first one up was certainly running it very close for me, and that was the many deaths of Lila Star number two. So this is the title, obviously from Ram V. We've we've talked about it before. We've you know sung its praises with issue one being a pick of the week. We obviously chatted with Ram as well. And this is the title that he co-created with Felipe Andrade. And what I really liked about issue two was that it, it set this series up. It's going to be a five-issue series, but it set it up almost as every issue being a specific one-shot. Uh, it's going to be in a different time frame every issue. And it also seems to be exploring different themes. And what I really enjoyed about this issue... so. The, the basic concept of Lila Star, just in case you missed uh, episode one or you'd never read issue one. So basically, Lila Star is the human form of death. You know, death was essentially fired because in the future, 
uh, a human is going to invent immortality so what do we need death for anymore so she's essentially sent down to earth she's given the body of lila star and she starts playing with these concepts of should i kill the person who creates immortality just so i can have my job back there's a lot of dark humor to it which is great but the second issue uh the 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 child who is going to you know invent immortality is a little older and there's this great story of him growing up and this helper at his family's estate, someone who worked really hard, someone who was really important to him growing up and, and taught him a lot of valuable lessons. He he gets really close to him, even though the parents are saying, you know, stay away from that man. You don't need to feed him. You don't you don't need to know his name, you know, because he's basically fed scraps while they eat well at home. But the the whole concept of this issue for me anyway was all about a child understanding what death is and you kind of get the impression that this experience is what helps shape this child's mind into i need to cure death i can't have this happen and i thought that was some really really class foreshadowing and you also have a great scene between lila star and the child and you know they have really interesting conversations and i just love this book i i've read this issue three times i've read the first one three or four times as well and it sort of ends it with another time jump because anytime Lila Star dies, a period of time passes. Hence, the many deaths of Lila Star as a title. But yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant issue. I thought very close to pick of the week material, but I have a feeling I'd be picking all five issues of this as we go. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, I think we both had to go all right. You know, between our our interview with the uh, with the writer Ram V that. That really spotlighted this before it came out, and 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 talking about the the the, the first issue whenever it came out, it's just, I mean, it's just the whole thing is just it just flows beautifully. The story, you know, the the art is is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've got it at the top of my pull, you know, to read before I start my next pull list tomorrow, you know, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll reread it. Um, so yeah, just it there's something slightly you know it's it's an odd story but there's something slightly celebratory about it you know mm-hmm. with regard to uh, the human experience you know but jesus the, the creative team are are just are just brilliant they're this is this is career career best stuff i think i um, i think so i don't think it's too big a statement to say that i think it works on so many levels it gives you so much to think about i I love the setting of it as well. It's not just set in New York City or set in London or, you know, it's very intrinsically linked with Ram's roots as well. And yeah, just the the more I read it, the more little tiny details you pick up on it. You know, the panel layouts are interesting. You know, the colors are interesting. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful book. And and again, has something to say as well. So, and you know, that... <sighs> You, you were right what you said earlier on that each issue could potentially be a one shot you know because she is reborn at the start some years later you know but uh, through through a through a, a well-explained and slightly humorous mechanism and you know inevitably dies at the end which you know is what what the, the title suggests the many deaths of we've had two deaths and two issues yeah. uh, and and two two time passes so i mean that's but uh it's only five issues yeah. i want I don't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, this is it's a fantastic example of, of uh, I guess, raising the bar and and how the medium of comics can 
can lift 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 you up in a way that maybe no other medium yeah. can. You know, it's very it's so tongue in cheek, but so genuine at the same time. Like it's it's just something else. Yeah. Yeah, I also get the feeling that it's uh, working in themes of fate as well because I, I can't help but shake the feeling that it's it's Lila Starr's influence on this child's life because she can't stay away from the child. Yes, yeah, and it's going to yeah. be her influence that guides him towards what ultimately makes her a useless entity, so to speak. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. I mean because yeah. she feels nothing for sympathy for this child who's crying on the beach and doesn't understand how death works and how he's not coming back and. Yeah, just uh, this is you know this is Lila Star experience and the humanity through this through this kid in yeah. a way you know uh, and uh, yeah that, um, I think there's going to be all sorts of uh, lessons by the end of it uh, but yeah just I don't want it to finish yeah um, very good so yeah many deaths of Lila Star number two there is the first honourable mention another title we've been very much enjoying in a, a very different way to say the least but just a really effortlessly cool title has been Redemption which is an AWA title it's going to be five issues in total this is written by Krista Faust and art by Mike Diodato Jr longtime legend of the comic industry and this has reached issue four of five and this was a really action-packed issue so it was it was the this was sort of the issue where, you know, the young wards trying to convince the old timer to help them just this one time, the old timer being stubborn. There was some great horror moments in this issue. You know, I I love that the uh the younger That's character it, Rose and she actually fakes the butcher being involved. You know, she sends this note back with these dead bodies saying, I'm coming for you, the butcher and the butcher is not happy that she did that to say the least. Yeah, I mean possibly I mean it's Mike Diodana Jr., possibly one of the best-looking books on the shelves this mm-hmm. week, on the racks this week, rather. Uh, the tension is just ratchets, ratchets up. This is the, the penultimate issue. And, uh, I mean, obviously, the I guess the the narrative is that uh, Rose, uh, Rose's mother, Inez, is the, is the nurse in Redemption, which is a, a desert, and a post-apocalyptic desert town ruled by a bit of a preacher bastard uh, who looks uh, very much like Lance Henriksen. Um, and she's set to be executed. Rose, the daughter, has gone off to find her mother's former lover, Cat the Butcher Tanner, and convince her to return to town. But the butcher's not interested, doesn't want to return to town, isn't a hero, doesn't want to be a hero. And if she goes back, she knows she's going to have to face her former lover and and this, I guess, her past also. Um, but we find out that that past isn't that stories, stories and the reality are very, very different things. The legend of of the butcher and 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 who the butcher, how the butcher actually got that name is are very, very different things. But um, yeah, great, really loving the the edginess and the grittiness and the. But this is this is going this is going to end badly. This is uh, this is on the on the road to. <laughs> it's not the road to redemption, I don't think, uh, by any means. This is, yeah, very. It's all very. It's all very. You know, close in. A lot of the the the, the character shots are all very close in and and. Uh, very emotive. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you know the butcher is very much based on on Linda Hamilton, but there are. I think there's there's very real reasons that Diodato has done that because, you know, Lance Henriksen has 
played that sort of role so often in movies that you're like, oh yeah, I know who that character is. Yeah. And you know, and and who else but Linda Hamilton to to play a a badass one-handed gunslinger. Yeah. Um. You know we and you know so we find it, it was an issue where we found out a hell of a lot about about Cat Tanner, about who she was and who she is and and uh, and just that that last page, just her her reciting what she's just said the rose, all the heroes are dead. All the heroes are dead. All the heroes are dead. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is it's really fun, very violent. Uh if you're yeah, just yeah AWA, so you'll be able to four issues in, you'll be able to pick up the trade fairly shortly. Uh but and it's well worth it. The the writing is phenomenal, the art's phenomenal, very, very gritty. Great characters. Great yeah. characters. Uh, very, very believable characters um just badass smart characters who are female uh just brilliant brilliant yeah and i mean normally the the western genre in general is so populated by male characters and as you say for it to sort of turn it on its head but it's one of those things it's turned on its head but it's not they don't bring loads of attention to it if you know what i mean it's not like it's saying here's a female western it's just here's a western with great characters and i think that's the strength of it so as you say the trade won't be too far away aw are very quick at turning their trades around so i'd say that'll probably be out towards end of june maybe start of july so definitely worth keeping an eye out for and then one last uh indie book just for a honorable mention i believe this was pretty high up in your list this was potential pick of the week material yeah it very much was you 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 drop uh redemption number four by saying you know mike data is probably the best you know it's probably the best looking book on the on the on the on the racks and then you you pick up a simone de book um the uh sixth issue is started the next arc of we only find them when they're dead, uh, which is by Al Ewing, of course, and Simone DeMeo on uh, on covers and, and interiors. The, I mean, Al Ewing is is crafting a, a cosmic story with a massive a massive scale, both in space and in time. And uh, I was absolutely blown away by by how this new arc opens. Um, we're reintroduced to the cosmic set. It's all about the, these space titans, these gods that you know they only find when they're dead. You know, it was it was set in the early and and through 2020, 2022, uh, 2002, year 2200, and the year 2300. Sorry, I got myself mixed up in my numbers there. And uh, you know, they have these space gods that appear, and our world and our our cosmos, our solar system is is so burned out that that the only i guess trade and food and stuff comes from them harvesting the organs and skin and flesh and and all the bits and pieces of these these space titans that appear but they only ever appear dead um and it just feels like the last five issues have just been arguing setting up what was going to happen this the the last five issues were all just background we've got a we've got a new protagonist in marlon chen who's totally shady but still kind of likable and we have we're reintroduced to uh i guess 50 years have passed since captain malik and and his crew in the vhan 2 embarked beyond the known universe to try and find the the source of the gods to try and find one that was alive 
And uh, there's so much going on. I'm having trouble putting this into an honourable mention. But I guess some many years, 50 years later, we come face to face with with George George's Malik again, the the captain of the V hand too, but not in a way that we expected. Uh, in a way that just is, it's almost like, yeah, the. Uh, just read it. Just read it. <laughs> it's uh, there, there's a whole there's a whole culture has built up around the last god that appeared, and the last god that appeared bears, bears a very striking resemblance to to uh, to the protagonist of the first arc, uh, and uh, the 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 culture and the religion and the worship that's grown up around this last god to appear, uh, and all of this it's just it's so good it's so good uh, it's Al Ewing is, oh that guy just such a writer. Such a writer. <laughs> yeah, I mean the trades out for the first uh the complete first arc of We Only Find Them When They're Dead and I think off the top of my head, like Boom released it at a really low price. Like they even outpriced Image and what they normally do, which is the uh which is the nine pound trade one. I think the first trade of this is seven pounds fifty, which is which is no price for, you know, the quality involved here. I mean it was a title that I, I let a couple of them build up because I find there there's a lot of big themes being played with here. It's a huge cast of characters. You've got different time frames. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of depth to this and I sort of thought it was best to let a few issues build up. So I left three, uh, four, five and six and read them all together and it flows really well. I think this actually might read slightly better in trade because mm-hmm. of that. So do yourself a favor, pick up the first trade of it. You know, again, 750 is the cost of maybe two single issues. Uh, so it's it's really really good value and if you like big grand operatic sci-fi and titles with really really class art and really great colors colors always stand out to me massively it's gorgeous it's absolutely gorgeous and and a a really good hard sci-fi i'm totally totally intrigued in where where this is going and and, and what's going on totally intrigued so that is the final honorable mention then for indie and that is we only find them when they're dead number six so as ever, we will move on to our picks of the week. And my pick of the week is a really interesting one simply because, you know, we're, we're, we're starting, to, starting to learn that we've actually got a pretty good audience for this, for this podcast. We're starting to get questions thrown at us. We've got people mentioning it in store. And it's always really great to hear that people are enjoying it. And I got a question during the week there. Well, not so much a question, as more of a comment, I suppose. But it was... Can't wait to find out what the Coffee and Heroes pod thinks of my pick of the week, Radiant Black 4. And Radiant Black is a title that I've enjoyed to this point, but I wouldn't say it's blown me away. I think it's it's done some great world building. I think it's had some really interesting characters, uh, but it, it hadn't quite elevated it up to that top of the pile type status. But holy crap, did issue four Oof. throw it right to the top of the pile. So... Radiant Black is a title from Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa. Uh, it's printed by Image Comics. And when they first solicited it, it was it was basically said for fans of Invincible and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Now, I didn't understand just how good Invincible was at that point, so I really should have known better. But now I've obviously read all of that. I've never been a big Power Rangers guy, but Radiant Black seemed to have a bit of a Power Rangers type vibe to it, certainly at the start. You know, and that's not surprising given Kyle Higgins worked on Power Rangers for quite a while. He also was the writer of that aforementioned Nightwing omnibus that you enjoyed so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the Power Rangers. The Power Rangers comparison is an easy one to make, and maybe it's a wee bit lazy. It might just be, but I think it actually fits better with Invincible after reading this issue, to say the least. But 
Yeah, so essentially Radiant Black, it kicked off four issues ago and it was following a character called Nathan Burnett. So he's just turned 30. You know, his life's not going how he imagined. He's he's working and failing at two jobs. His credit card debt's going up. And his only move is, you know, to move back home with his parents who, of course, will always judge him. And, you know, how's the writing going? And why have you not made it? And all this kind of stuff. But in the first issue, he discovers and unlocks the ethereal cosmic radiant. And he's given the power to radically change his life, essentially. And he's got a really, really good friend who basically goes in this journey with him as well called Marshall. And Marshall, he's he's your typical, you know, supportive friend, you know, will certainly jibe at him from time to time. But he's always encouraging. And he's been on this journey with him ever since he discovered this power and how it almost to become a superhero, I suppose. So... You're getting as far as issue four and Nathan's starting to have some really sort of weird dreams. He's or these weird visions, I suppose. And he's chatting with, you know, what is, you know, essentially the armor, the radiant black armor. And there's going to be a war coming with another radiant and Nathan will need to kill them. And a lot of the the early part of this issue wrestles with that dilemma of, you know, can you be a hero if you kill but also can you be a hero if you don't do what is necessary to protect people so the issue you know plays around with that you know plays around with you know nathan training there's a really cool little scene with marshall where marshall's trying to make him really angry because apparently when he gets angry the the power just multiplies and there's a great part where obviously nathan wants to be a writer and he starts saying things that'll make him angry your prose (laughs) sucks the oxford comma is overrated Chandler wishes you'd never read him. Uh, and then, of course, he gets really personal with it, you know, about an ex-girlfriend. Justin would still be around if you knew how to conjugate. Which <laughs> <And then laughs> is just a, going a bit far. But, you know, of course, it, it gets Nathan going and he's able to increase his power. And uh, Marshall's in the background going, whoa, that was dope, brilliant. You know, oh, you totally swore at me in a weird noise, alien language and all this kind of stuff. So... Again, this this issue wrestles with all those ideas, again, as I say, of what it is to be a hero and so forth. And then the Red Radiant turns up and attacks. If you don't want to know any further spoilers from here, put this forward a couple of minutes because I want to talk spoilers because what happened in this issue blew me away. And that's really unusual. The, The risk this issue took for being four issues in was ridiculous so last warning this i'm gonna throw the spoilers out there because keith and i need to talk about this i messaged everybody after i read this i'm like steven's a big fan of us i was like have you read radiant black yet he went no but i'll put it top of the pile and then he messaged me about 20 minutes there going what the hell so last 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 warning so big massive action scene between uh the red radiant and radiant black who is our main character nathan this huge action sequence starts off beautiful art in it there's there's a really great uh, page where you know he gets sent through a building and you see all the different layers and so forth and then the red radiant basically turns itself uh, turns its attention on innocent bystanders and nathan does what he can to try and protect them to try and get them out of this building but unfortunately he is able to save them and be a hero but at the same time the building comes down on him Now, at this point, you're expecting the traditional, you know, hero to emerge from the rubble. Oh, that barely tickled or, you know, get up and have its last heroic moment. But holy crap, they killed Nathan. (laughs) I could not believe this. Like, I thought this was just going to be a joke or something and he was going to wake up. But no, they killed Nathan. So the main character you have been following for only four issues who, you know, you've been on his side. He's a field writer. You feel sorry for him. He's moved home with his parents. Nope, gone. 
And what actually happens is the radiant power then transfers over and it's to Marshall. And holy crap, how quickly does he accept that power as his friend lies dying? This was awesome. This was so, so good. And the thing about it is, you know, the the vision that uh, Nathan was having earlier in the issue was all about, you know, will you be able to kill, you know, to protect and all the rest. Marshall looks like he has no problem accepting this. You know, he, he accepts that responsibility and... For them to pull this four issues in, I mean, this would have been like them killing off Mark Grayson and Invincible four issues in, and someone taking his power and on and taking over. For an indie book, this was massive. I thought just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, I don't know if you were quite as blown away as me, but what did you think? Oh no, I I was blown away. I was definitely blown away. Uh, it deserves an, another read for sure. Um, I I absolutely love this. I love. Um, I loved the you know superhero origin stories deconstructed and where you you know you get a wee bit of an in-depth into that learning curve learning about the powers and what the powers are and learn about the origin it's you know it's a wee bit different from you know spider-man you know peter parker getting getting bitten by the radioactive spider and you know within the the, the issue you know or within the page he's like oh wow i've got the proportionate strength speed and agility of a spider and i've developed these web shooters and i've got a spider sense now on with the story you know this is, you know, that and it, that has been really interesting because last issue was was effectively exploring Nathan's writing process. Mm-hmm. You know, so you you're like you thought, okay, I'm, I'm with this guy for the long haul, but <laughs> clearly, clearly Kyle Higgins is just like, oh yeah, uh-huh, this is why, this is, yeah, I've just I've let you get attached to this guy because this is happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it just was. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the the comparison with Invincible is is, is a good one, uh, but yeah. And I just don't know if I don't know if our if our new uh, if our new Radiant Black is he's clearly up for the job, but is he is he the same moral individual that, that Nathan was? Is you know what is what is going on? Like what is going on? Who who is the you know who is the robot? like creature that is you know is, is speaking in his ear and i just thought it was awesome even just the you know nathan was he started speaking the language that uh you know the, it was just it's so good it's so good um i just yeah it was a, it was a real it was a real twist the likes the likes of which i haven't seen in in quite some time and that's it's one of the, it's one of the things that i love about indie books mm-hmm. that you can do that yeah you know what i mean you can you can do that at yeah, I mean, the last the last big twist, obviously, that is, is massively in our minds is is the twist in uh, in Invincible issue eleven. Yeah, you know where we we find out Omni Man isn't who we thought Omni Man was. Uh, you know, and that totally changes the direction of the of the whole thing. You know, um, yeah, that just was something like that. It was just it was right up there. Just as we're starting to. He was so Nathan was so backward about exploring his powers. You know, you think if this was you, you'd be like, "No, damn it, I'm skipping everything to find out what these superpowers are." You know, but he was keen to write and keen to, you know. So, uh, and that was the thing with his friend Marshall. He was always a case of like, "Let's do this. Let's. Can you fly? Can you do this? Can you do that?" So he was always more excitable at the idea of his friend being a superhero than his friend maybe was. He maybe, yeah, you know, maybe the responsibility weighed more on him. That kind of thing, but. As you say, because we got more and more of an insight into Nathan's life, you thought this is our guy that you know his 
his name's in the title. He is Radiant Black, but you know, the, mm-hmm. for them to turn it in their head this early was was such a bold move. Yeah. And, and yeah. I and I think massive uh, kudos has to go to Marcelo Costa for the art as well. I mean, yeah. the, especially those pages where he's sort of having the vision or having the communications with you know another Radiant Black. You know those hellish landscapes and planets exploding behind them and big double page spreads. You know, to go from that big double page spread back to the mundane, you know, Nathan sitting on the sofa. Like, the guy's essentially a superhero and he's just sitting on the sofa and Marshall says to him, oh, any plans today? Oh, I'm just going to watch a movie. It's like, mm-hmm. why are you not out there testing these sort of, uh, yes. testing your limits, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting. I love the way the, uh, I guess it's the the existence is what this uh, other internal world is called or what this robot is called that's communicating with them. Uh, I just love the way I love its speech pattern. You know, it reminds me of uh, of Warlock back in the 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 early New Mutants days, mm-hmm. the way Warlock used to talk. You know, uh, self framed and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, very very cool stuff. I just can't wait to see what happens next in the story. Yeah, can't yeah. wait to see it's uh, and how long it'll run for. And it it's so funny. It's <laughs> the letters page, uh, and you should have known. I thought it was just really cheeky. The title of the book, which is buried inside the front cover, is Everything Changes, which is just, you're, you you hear it so often in previews, yeah. everything changes, and you're like, no, nothing will change, you know? And, yeah, it, so it was just, yeah, everything everything is changing. That, was, that wasn't that was hyperbole. That was, this is this is happening, you know? But the, uh, <laughs> I don't know who this is answering the letters page. Uh, is it... Uh, it's uh, Michael, who is the the editor and designer, and he's like, everybody's going, yeah, I love Nathan. I really relate to Nathan. Nathan's <laughs> such a great character, and he's like, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> There's another one that. saying, when is the Marshall spinoff? You know, I, I can't wait to see Marshall going some kind of wacky adventure. Is another yeah. one of the another one of the letters. So. And then there's even that wee Marshall School of Business, you know, strip at the back as well, which gives you a wee bit of extra value where you, he sort of talks about his business ideas and stuff like that, which is kind of funny. So maybe we should have known Marshall was going to be the main guy here. You know, maybe, as you said, it was just hidden in plain sight the whole time. You know, he, he definitely he's coming across as the, the, the wacky sidekick, uh, for sure. But and just as Nathan seemed to be starting to get a handle on things, you know, he punches Radiant Red right across the city and all of that sort of stuff. It's just... Oh, such a shock, such a shock. And it seems that Radiant Red maybe isn't the bastard they appear to be, mm-hmm. you know, as they tried to, to help Radiant Black save the, uh, you know, save the, save the, building, the building, save the people. So, uh, But it's interesting as well, even in the moment where Nathan dies, you know, he's he's in the existence and he's asked the question, like, will you, you know, take his life? And Nathan would rather die than entertain the idea of taking someone else's life. Because he basically looks just down at the ground when he's asked it, and it was like, "Well, then your world will die," and then he does die. So, and that, I mean, he made that he made that choice. He made that choice that the the existence says our connection is final, permanent for the duration of your life. You are part of the existence. So, I think that the existence had the option to save Nathan's life. That's there. what I mean. But he has yeah. made that decision himself. Of uh, no, I won't take someone. Yeah, the existence went. Well, I can't use you anymore. So. <laughs> Uh, so now you're deceased and our, our 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 link, which is permanent until the end of your life, is finished. And now I must move on and find someone who is more useful. Yeah. Oh, that um, friend of yours looks useful. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Yeah, there's and there's a, I suppose there's a wee element of Green Lantern in there as well. You know, whenever the mm. Green Lantern died and uh, and Hal Jordan took on the ring. Um, so uh, yeah, very finding someone who's worthy. Uh, I did just want to finish off just with uh, I had seen some comparisons to Thunderbolts number one. You know, and in terms of massive comic twists along the way. I mean, I I I don't know what that is. Can you can you enlighten me? Yeah, I mean, the that would have been the massive comic twist uh, which occurred at the end of uh, of Thunderbolts one, which was released what year? Nah, you're going back nineties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was something else. So the the Thunderbolts had appeared after uh, after onslaught, whenever the the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and uh, they had all disappeared. Um, the Hulk had sort of disappeared or sort of not disappeared. That was a weird one. Um, but uh, the Thunderbolts appeared in a variety of, of, of issues and they subdued the Hulk or tried to subdue the Hulk and they were they were appearing everywhere and they were setting them up as the replacement for the Avengers. So by the time Thunderbolts 1 rolled around, you were like, all right, I'm good for this. This is going to be great. And they, they had this great story where they were, you know, the, the, the Thunderbolts were just being heroes, you know, it was, and we were, we were, introduced to them and the public were introduced to them and they were they were being lauded by the public and and uh, the authorities were handing were going to hand over the avengers files to them and everything and then the last page is the reveal that the thunderbolts are all baron zemo with citizen v and and the, the rest are the the masters of evil in other guises and uh, you're like well it was just a page turn and it was the most fantastic page turn mark bagley art it was just uh, it was phenomenal. So that was that was a reveal. That was that was a different kind of reveal, mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe much more of a of a build up, and probably not the sort of thing you can do very often in in the big two, you know. But but this is this is something that uh, you know independent comics such, or Image could can can still get away with, you know. Uh, but that yeah, that was that was the uh, that was the big reveal at the end of Thunderbolts, which I highly recommend everybody pick up there's that that lovely omnibus that you have in the uh, in the store at the minute mm-hmm. um if i didn't have all the issues and hadn't diligently collected them i would pick it up myself <laughs> uh but that was a massive reveal and that was that was pre-internet yeah uh, as well so but likewise this wasn't spoiled yeah i mean it, it wasn't even a case of you know this was coming out and you know people were saying oh there's something big we'll not spoil it but there's some like i just went into it of oh another issue of radiant black I kind of dig this title, right? Oh, let's see. And then, yeah, this elevator for me. There's, there's always certain TV shows or certain comics or certain movies where a certain moment happens. You go right. I'm in this for the long haul. I always cite Breaking Bad as my example of that, and it's mm-hmm. the point in Breaking Bad where Walter stands at the end of the bed and watches Jesse's girlfriend choke to death on her, uh, like she's had a drug mm-hmm. overdose, and he yeah, could save yeah, her, yeah. and he watches her die because he thinks jesse is more useful to me if he's not attached to this woman and i just thought that was so cold and i was like right i am in this to the end that's what i had with this issue when that moment happened i was like right you've got my trust this is going to be a great story so if you haven't got into radiant black yet um we can't recommend it enough and it it hopefully is a title that's only going to get better we've no idea how long it's going to be it's been uh, just solicited as an ongoing ongoing can mean 30 issues or if you're Robert Kirkman it can mean 150 issues who knows but this deserves a big audience because it's really really good storytelling really good art and uh yeah they they really pulled a pulled the rug out from under us in that one so that was my pick of the week Radiant Black number four so what about yourself then what was your pick what what finally took the pick of the week for you this week 
What finally took the pick of the week for me was uh, Shang-Chi number one by Jean Lun Yang uh, and pencils by uh, Dyke Ruan, colored by Irish woman, I believe, uh, Triona Farrell, and lettered by Travis Lanham. And this is the kickoff of uh, of Yang's ongoing Shang-Chi series. Obviously, Shang-Chi is, is coming back to prominence again with the upcoming release of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, and this picks up exactly where so Jin Lun Yang and Dyke Rion and Philip Tan were on the previous uh, five issue mini of, uh, of, of Shang-Chi and this ongoing picks up where that left off. Shang-Chi has inherited the mantle of Supreme Commander of the Five Weapons Society, the, the society that was run by his, the criminal organization that was run by his, uh, his, his father, uh, Zheng Zhu. Um, and Shang has has inherited this, and each of the Shang is is uh, his brother brother Fist, I think, and he's the supreme commander. And then, you know, there there are four other weapons. So, and each of the the clans, the weapon clans, is led by one of Shang Chi's siblings. So we have uh, Sister Dagger, for example, is his little sister. And so we we have here Shang Chi. You know he's he's a a man of good heart, you know, and 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 great morals, and he's been struggling to keep this society together because it's his family, but he also wants to dismantle it because it's a criminal organization, and he's trying to. I think he's trying to turn it to good, but you know, so so I guess the the last the miniseries, the previous miniseries, was all background to this, and so things come to a head when. Shang Chi and the the deadly the Five Weapons Society in particular his his sister Deadly Dagger Esme, uh, they're tracking down a new drug, which brings him into contact with Spider Man, and I gotta say one of the things that I really loved about it's it's subtitled Shang Chi versus the Marvel Universe, and it becomes quite clear by the end why we're why we're calling that why why we're we're calling it this, but it's just. This is this was just a, a fantastically almost flawless first issue. It, it's so it's so good. The uh, just the, the the concept they're setting up, which is that Shang Chi is about to go head to head with the Marvel Universe's biggest heroes. Uh, you know the cover is the cover is amazing, um, which just has Shang Chi in the background and uh, you know in a in a in a kung fu pose. Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, The Thing, and Thor all laid out. Um, so it's it's so good, and it just it goes through. You know, we have uh, we have Spider-Man appearing right at the very very start, and uh, you know, and it just characterizes everything. Uh, Dyke Ryan's art is great. Uh, you know, Shang Chi's going, please, Spider-Man, we don't want to hurt you, and Sister Dagger's going, speak for yourself, Shang Chi. <laughs> but uh, so you know, he's. He's been proclaimed the new leader of the of the five weapons societies and inherit his father's legacy and changing the society's evil ways will not will not be easy. It, it picks up very very uh, quickly. You know he's he's out on a date with Delia Wang at the same time. Sister Dagger is is texting him going, okay, can I can I make a move in these guys? And he's trying to be Shang Chi, but he's trying to be the supreme commander. And you, you automatically and instantly see that this is going to be a division in his soul. You know this isn't isn't how it's going to go and uh, i mean a, a fantastic story develops that i'll not 
I'll not spoil, but it involves a, a drug that's based on a, on a Chinese medicine, you know, an ancient medicine, and and these these creatures, and uh, and and some great kung fu fights, and uh, a Spider-Man action sort of Spider-Man action coming in there, and and Spider-Man is just written and looks brilliant. Uh, Dyke Rian Rian's version of Spider-Man is class. Uh, I just really love what they're what they're doing there. Uh, the 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 conflict between Sister Dagger, who's a trained assassin, is just like, can I kill him yet? You know, <laughs> impatient. You know, and, yeah, and, and at one stage she calls, uh, you know, Spider Man's like, well, he he webs up her dagger, and she's like, what, what did you do? You covered my dagger in, in, in some sort of snot, you know? <laughs> what is this, you know? And and it just, you know, it, it it's it feels like a small story at the start as as Shang Chi's trying to track down. You know this this drug and and Spider Man's trying to track down this weapons gang and Spidey nearly forces a team up. You know because we're all aware of Spider Man's capacity for team ups, uh, which is is just is just great. Spidey's dialogue is class. Um, there's a whole lot of lovely wee lovely wee deep cuts in here, and then uh, Spider Man becomes infected by the drug and turns into a six arm monster creature, and Shang Chi and 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 Sister Dagger have to fight this monsterified spider-man uh you know and she's like you know shang chi's like don't kill him as me and she's like is that really what you're worried about right now and he's like yes <laughs> so and they, they even call back to spider island the link between spider-man and shang chi was whenever spider-man's spider sense disappeared during the spider island crossover mm -hmm. he needed something to compensate so shang chi created a new style of kung fu called the way of the spider which he taught to to peter um, there's there's a conversation about that, you know, where where Chang Chi's like a like a disappointed sensei. He's like, did you did you keep up your training? And he's like, well, whenever my spider sense came back, it didn't really, it didn't really need to, uh, you know. And uh, and um, <laughs> and uh, Shang Chi's like, well, you'll be, you'll be better for it. Just 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 keep it up, keep up the, you know, we I created that for you, so you know. And uh, so it just as it just as a as a great a great story, but. You know that at the end, we you know Spider Man comes to understand the situation that that Shang Chi is in. Uh, he understands that Shang Chi has taken over his father father's organization and and all of this. And and Shang Chi says, "I am her leader. I am the new supreme commander of the Five Weapons Society. As supreme commander, I claim everything in this space, meaning the the, the drugs they've liberated. Mm -hmm. Sister Dagger, call in your warriors right away, Commander." And then you know what looks like a shield heli helicarrier drops in the, the the ninjas of the the the, the clan and uh, you know he wants every trace of the the Yeren root gone and and Spider Man is like Shang are are you still one of us and calling back to the to the start when I was talking about his spider sense coming back Shang Chi goes what does your spider sense tell you and then you know disappears leaving Spider Man standing wondering you know and it just is it's it's cool it just is really it's a real cool conflict that they've set up between one of the most uh good-hearted moral characters in the marvel universe and shang chi and the rest of the marvel universe and it looks like issue two is is not going to pull any punches either because we've got shang chi up against captain america so up against spider-man in one issue up against captain america in the next i love where they're going with this i absolutely love it uh and it it looks good. It feels good. Just, uh, it's so easy to jump on. Um, 
if the if the rest of the storyline is this good, they're on to a winner with this one. You know, they really are the just the the complexities of Shang Chi's life, the 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 characters around him that they're they're creating and fleshing out the obviously if we're going to be including the likes of spider-man and captain america and whoever else in this uh that's just going to be it's going to be awesome i don't think i don't know if shang chi has ever been this much fun he's returning for his first ongoing and donkey's years it's an absolute joy to read it's really fun it's it's doing a wee bit of word building it's got a great conflict it's got a it's got great art you know, Shang-Chi has been that, you know, uh, Kung Fu exploitation character. And I just I just wonder if, if, it's, if it's ever been this good. I think Jin uh, Lin Yang has a real handle on the character. It could be with the new movie coming out and everything, we could be seeing a new, like a new a character who's been around for a long time rising to a place that they really should have been the whole time. A really good reimagining, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and as I say, I don't know if it's ever been—I don't know if it's ever been this good. You know, he's always been a wee bit of a throwaway character. So this was just, this was just class. Um, you wouldn't need to be familiar with the five-issue miniseries that preceded this or the one-shot. You could just jump straight in. Uh, you know, Marvel's we previously on Shang Chi just does it all for you. That's enough. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, just I—I I don't know if you read this, Alan. Did you? I didn't. know. I do actually have number one upstairs, though, due to the joys of the Scotty Young cover curse. That mm-hmm. means I always need to bring an issue home. So I'll—I'll uh, I'll give it a read. Actually, just based on your excitement alone, I think it, it warrants a read. Well, that's that's uh, if, if I'm reflecting my excitement in my chat, then uh, then I'm, I'm I'm doing right, and it just is just just as a, a lot of fun, but a great great story and, and, and beautiful looking yeah i mean gene lun yang is another one of those writers who's uh balancing really well at the moment because as well as obviously working on this they've taken over batman superman from joshua williamson and i've been really enjoying the run on that so far uh two issues deep and there's a there's another one due out this week as well so uh obviously doing good work balancing the two so yeah that was keith's pick of the week then shang chi number one so yeah, that brings an end pretty much to all of our reviews for the titles that came out on the nineteenth of May. But we'll finish off as we always do with just a little bit of a, a little bit of a preview of what's coming out this week and the things we're looking forward to most. So, for me this week, uh, it's probably not too surprising to you know say that I've got a DC title I'm looking forward to. It's a much more stacked week. We're slightly cheating here, I suppose, as well because we're not including the ones from last week. Because let's be honest, we both just want Nightwing eighty. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, there is an iconic label relaunching for Batman this week. So uh, it's a series called Legends of the Dark Knight. So this is being relaunched actually by Derek Robertson, who is uh, the co-creator of The Boys. He is on writing duty and art duty for this one, I believe, as well. And Legends of the Dark Knight has always been an anthology series filled with lots of one-shots. Every so often you would get a you know a story that'll go over a couple of issues but this looks very much to be just one shot a little bit like truth and justice but obviously all uh fall under the batman purview so you know upcoming issues are going to be done by the likes of stephanie phillips matt rosenberg brandon thomas carl moster kian tormey but this one's Derek robertson so for this one comics icons and rising stars alike will tell stories across the batman mythos beginning with Comics legend and co-creator of The Boys, Derek Robertson. A new player has arrived on the scene in Gotham City and is selling deadly chemicals to the worst villains in town, Mr. Freeze, the Penguin, and even the Joker. 
it's up to Batman to stop the villains, track down his supplier and save Gotham City once more. So that just really looks cool. Kraken front cover as well. Uh, and then for my other two this week, it's actually two returning series and two of my favourite indie series are, are back this week with brand new single issues. So first up we have Something is Killing the Children, number 16. So, you know, we've been shouting about the virtues of this series ever since number one and there, there's a slightly perverse little joy in being on this title from the very start because number one now is a speculator's dream because it's it's like anywhere between a three to five hundred pound issue now just shows you how crazy the market is and we're just like we jumped on this because it sounded like a good story Mm -hmm. and we have our first print number one safely tucked away so something is killing the children number 16 so what's really cool about this one is we're going into origin territory here so written by james tinney in the fourth art by werther della dera the story you demanded begins here the origin of erica slaughter what shocking events brought erica to the house of slaughter and what did she have to do to join the order of st george these secrets are revealed here for the first time in what is also described as a perfect jumping on point for new readers as well Though I would highly recommend reading the first three trades just to catch up. And then finally, the other title coming back this week is Philadelphia. So we're big fans of this as well. Again, been on this from the start. So issue 13, start of the third story arc, which is titled Home is Where the Hatred Is. The Smash Hit Horror Series returns with this first issue of a brand new arc from writer Rodney Barnes and artist Jason Sean Alexander. The showdown between undead detective James Sangster Sr. versus vampire queen Abigail Adams and her legion reaches fever pitch now that Abigail has killed his son. But revenge becomes even more complicated as dark figures from the past emerge and even more shocking surprises that you never saw coming are unearthed. That is a solicitation that, you know, I'm sorry, guys, the bar has been raised by Radiant Black when you say shocking surprises you never saw coming. So mm. that those are my three picks. What about yourself? What is top of your list this week? I mean, that, that shocking surprise at the end of Philadelphia 12 was, was, was a good one. Definitely. Also true. Also true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for me, uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to Chariot, uh, Chariot number three uh, from uh, AWA, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, so this is uh, three of five of Brian Hill and Priscilla Bertini's, uh synthwave thriller. Uh, Chariot, it was a Cold War era secret government project to provide a star agent with a, a weapon unlike any other in the form of a supercharged muscle car. It sank into the ocean decades ago. And the agent along with it, but now uh, our protagonist, a petty criminal, uh, looking to reform his family and, uh, and look after his sick kid, has stumbled upon the chariot, and uh, he is finding out that the agent's consciousness is still controlling it. In uh, what I say is best described as a as a synthwave thriller, uh, we're starting to we've we've discovered the the agent's sister has been lying in wait for her sister to appear in one form or another for the chariot to appear and. And things are really ramping up. This is such a class, fun series. Uh, really, really enjoying it. It's been my my favorite from AWA so far. And that's, I mean, there's been a lot that's come out of AWA since uh, Axel Alonso opened the doors. Um, so a good one. Uh, I cannot uh, go through a week where uh, an old guard related title is uh, is released and not choose it. Uh, so therefore, the old guard tails through time number two. Um, we are we have Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, Valentino Delandro, uh, taking on Immortal Warriors to taking our taking our Immortal Warriors to feudal Japan. 
Uh, plus we have Eric Troutman, who was on uh, Lazarus X plus 66. And Checkmate, Mike Henderson from Nailbiter, uh, plunging Booker into the, an Old West shootout with stakes that reverberate to today. So, uh, yeah, Old Guard, Tales Through Time. That's the, the Old Guard anthology series that is, I guess, bridging the gap between Volume 2 and Volume 3 of that uh, fantastic series. And then, I mean, this was a hard choice because there's a lot of good stuff out this week. But uh, I really enjoyed The Marvels, number one, by Kurt Busiek, Yil Adre Sinar, with Alex Ross on covers. But uh, The Marvels, number two, part two, strands and patterns stuff. Arrow, The Punisher, The Black Cat, Melinda May of S.H.I.E.L.D. fame, The Terrible Tinker and more. There's an aftermath in Manhattan after the explosion in our first issue and a crisis in the nation of Xi'an Kong as things go from bad to worse. And amid all that, meet Kevin Schumer. An ordinary guy with some big secrets and see more of the mysterious thread needle, who looks a lot like David Bowie, and the role he'd play in our building epic. Marvel's most wide-ranging thriller continues from Kurt Busiek and Yildre Sinar, and you'll never guess where we go next. So looking forward to this. So that's my three. Those are your three of uh, no doubt uh, usual massive pull list, but uh, we always have to narrow it down a little bit. Uh, so there you go so yeah those are the titles we're looking forward to most hitting the racks on wednesday the 26th of may so that is going to do it for this week as ever so as ever if you ever want to get in touch with us just uh make sure to follow the coffee and heroes page either on facebook twitter instagram you can find us nice and easily on there website's always a good place to go to coffeeandheroes.com you'll find all the podcasts on there all the youtube shows and also around 4,000 titles in our online store and growing <laughs> latest releases. You've done a great there. job with that online store. Great job. Well, you know, I can throw a little bit of uh, love your way for that. You know, you, you may have introduced me to the, the very talented man who designed the whole uh, designed the whole thing for us So and worked very hard on it. But yeah, no, we've, we've been adding uh, issues, you know, hand over fist on it. You know, we're hitting 4,000 issues there. The latest releases are on there as well and as ever with the website guys if you ever pick anything up if you are local you can choose a, a local pickup option not pay any postage charges and just pick it up from the store so a massive thank you as always to keith uh we are obviously recording this uh over tinternet but you never know with the next previews pod coming up we may just have to see each other's lovely faces in person and uh get cookie get vicky to cook some lovely dinner as well so get 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 cookie to vicky some lovely dinner you know i did realize i said that very quickly <laughs> <laughs> i just hope she didn't yeah, hear me I'm, yeah i'm looking forward to looking forward to 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 getting to record in person again and uh we might have to celebrate that with a wee beer or two when we're when we're recording you could twist my arm, could twist my arm. <laughs> anyway that's going to do it for us tonight thanks for listening as always guys hope you enjoyed this hope it proves useful and uh keep reading comics so we'll see you soon <laughs>